Right, without any further ado, can you give a big hand for Camilla Bett? Great, for those of you who might not know Camilla, she arrived this time last year. Um, she arrived in the middle of our summer program and she stuck around, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> anyway, today um, she, she's going to share with us from the Psalms, we're going to be doing this, the Psalms over the course of the summer, so she's got some thoughts to share with us on the Psalms, so I'm going to pray for her and then hand over to her. So Lord, we, we just lift up Camilla to you this morning. Um, Father, I pray that you will, you will just speak through her, Lord, that you will be um, her lips and, and her mouth, Lord, that you will, um, you, her thoughts will be your thoughts, Lord, and, and her words will be your, your words. So just come right now and fill her, Holy Spirit. Amen. Over to you. Thanks. Can you all hear me? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, well, so yeah, I've been here a year, and um, it's just been an amazing privilege to be part of this church. hasn't been the easiest year for me, but um, this church has been like a rock, so thank you guys, you're all amazing. Um, so I'm talking on Psalm 40 today, and um, so recently I saw an amazing show about the life of a Jewish woman born into a Jewish family um, called Carol King, and she... Um, Finished school early, she got into university, then got pregnant at 17, uh, got married, quit college with her husband, and then they both got jobs to pay the bills while writing songs in the evening. Um, they eventually got good enough to quit their day jobs and write music full-time. Uh, two kids down the line and several hit songs later, the husband got a bit claustrophobic and started cheating on her repeatedly, and she'd finally had enough and left him. So not long after, she decided to move across the country with her daughters, leaving behind all of her friends and the life she had known. Um, it was in this really difficult period that she wrote the song, You've Got a Friend. Um, and the lyrics start with, I'm sure you all know it, um, when you're down and troubled and you need some loving care and nothing, nothing is going right, close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest night. This song resonated with many people and reached number one on the Billboard Top 100, number four on the UK single chart. Um, everyone in this world will have trouble. It says in the Bible, uh, John 16:33. I know Neil did a series on this not long ago, so I hope this will be a bit of a compliment that. Um, God does not promise us a problem-free life. Um, it's not about if, but when we are down and troubled, or as David puts it in the psalm, in the pit. Psalm 40 is a song about the pits. It falls into two sections. In the first half, David tells us how God got him out of one pit um, and sings God's praise for doing so. And in the second half of the psalm, he's in another pit, crying out to the Lord to deliver him again. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm mainly going to talk about the first half of the psalm, um, and I'm just going to read it for you now. Is it coming up? Yeah. Um, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, 
who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So, David um, has clearly come out of a pit in uh, the first part of the psalm. Uh, He does not specify exactly what the trials of the first pit entail, except to describe it as a slimy pit and mud and mire. Perhaps we're not told so that we can relate all of our trials to David's situation. Um, So the pit could be any number of life's trials. It could be poor health, the loss of a job, relationship troubles or lack of relationship, rebellious children, feeling betrayed, feeling lonely, temptation, depression, or any other overwhelming problem. So there's an ancient Greek theory, which is, come on, um, uh, that there are four main temperaments based on the balance of four types of liquids or humors uh, in the body, unpleasantly named as blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. (laughs) So as the theory goes, uh, too much blood would make a person optimistic and resilient. And we still use the word sanguine coming from the Latin word for blood to mean optimistic or positive. Too much phlegm would make a person unemotional and lethargic. And we still use the word phlegmatic to mean having an unemotional and stolidly calm disposition. Too much yellow bile would make a person easily angered. Um, The word choleric, meaning bad-tempered or irritable, comes from the Greek word for yellow bile. Um, And too much black bile would make a person gloomy and despondent. The word melancholy comes from the Greek word for black bile, melancholia. Um, And it's interesting that after two and a half millennia of scientific advancements, that all Greek theory still holds water to some degree and is quite similar to many of the personality-type profiles circling today, like uh, this one, which actually came up in one of my uh, work training courses a few weeks ago. Um, Although body chemistry is undoubtedly more complex than the Greeks thought, many psychiatrists today would assert that temperament arises from our genetic endowment. I'll repeat that. Temperament arises from our genetic endowment. Some of us, it seems, are naturally more inclined to feel down in the dumps. 
So who's seen the movie Inside Out? How's up? Um, Well, for those of you who haven't seen it, the movie is about the emotions inside the mind of an 11-year-old girl, Um, joy, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust. Um, It's very cleverly done, in my opinion, and um, is apparently surprisingly accurate in terms of what we currently know about human psychology. My mum and I watched it together and found it hilarious, not only in relating to certain scenes. For for example, there's one where the mum and dad are sitting at the dinner table with the daughter, and the mom asks the dad a question, and the dad's completely zoned out in his brain. He's watching like a football match and <laughs> just completely misses the question, and that happens in our family as well. Um, and um, not only was that funny, but also in relating to the different emotions. So in my family, my younger sister is very much like the joy character. She's constantly upbeat and positive and enthusiastic. It's always raring to go and is always like encouraging the rest of us. Whereas in contrast, I am probably more like the sadness character. I have a lot of existential thoughts and um, am naturally more inclined to feeling low. Um, so whether it's built into the hardwiring of our genes or it's been programmed into our memory banks, a melancholy temperament is something some of us are stuck with, like freckles or a stutter. While it might be easier to empathize and comfort others who are sad, like in this scene in the movie when sadness comforts imaginary friend Bing Bong, um, that can be a small consolation when there is pressure, real or imagined, to be happy all the time. Um, So I'd always felt guilty that I was not always as upbeat or as positive as my sister, and that a lack of happiness signified a lack of faith, and ultimately in gratitude for all God has blessed me with. So whether you have a melancholy temperament or not, all of us at one point or another faces troubles or pits of some kind. Um, In Psalm 40, David shows us what he does while he's in the pit. Epictetus, an ancient Greek philosopher who was born a slave, said that it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. Sometimes external circumstances, our temperament, or our own or other sins can sink us into a pit It's how we react to it that matters. We don't know why David was in the pit, but we do know that he waited patiently for the Lord. And this is a phrase that's kind of bandied around a lot, and we sing about it, and it's like, yes, wait on God, wait on God. Um, But what does it it actually mean? How can we practically wait on God? This was not a passive waiting, like you would wait to see a doctor or wait for the bus. Um, But it was an intently active time. As you wait expectantly, your situation tunes your heart to the Lord in ways you would not normally experience. The more intense your situation, the more intently you will need to trust in God. So waiting on God means, firstly, trusting he will answer. So in verse 4, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Recently, I went through a period of unemployment, and all the options seemed very bleak. All the jobs I was looking at just looked really boring, and um, there was a pervading sense of hopelessness, which developed into a kind of numbness. And but looking back, that dark time gave me a chance to experience God in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise, um, and it was a big opportunity to trust him. Um, and I held on to God, often because there was no other option. So... Secondly, waiting on God means 
to cry out to him for deliverance. David cried out to the Lord. He turned, in verse 1, he turned to me and heard my cry. This may have been as simple as, help, Lord. In this world that values independence and self-sufficiency, our tendency is to try and handle things ourselves. In my own case, it's often only when I'm at my most desperate and I've tried every other avenue that I cry out for help. It is in these times when I've reached that desperation and I finally cry out to God that I have gained an understanding of 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The weaker I am, the more I am forced to depend on God. Um, One devotion that I have in this uh, book called Jesus Calling gave me a practical method of depending on God. Um, Do not be surprised by the fiery attacks on your mind. When you struggle to find me and to live in my peace, don't let discouragement set in. You are engaged in massive warfare, spiritually speaking. The evil one abhors your closeness to me, and his demonic underlings are determined to destroy our intimacy. When you find yourself in the thick of battle, call upon my name. Jesus, help me. At that instant, the battle becomes mine. Your role is simply to trust me as I fight for you. So it seems simple, right? Just calling out, Jesus, help me. Um, But it is. It is that simple. Um, And it makes a world of difference. did to me. So thirdly, um, waiting on God means recounting his many wonders and care for us. David remembers, in verse 5, the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. Remembering the many times God has come through for me and answered my prayers is a good reminder of how God is faithful now and forever. Similarly, remembering all the wonders God has done and noticing proclamations of his presence in the world can remind us that nothing is too big for God to handle or too small for him to care about. Fourthly, Um, waiting on God means obeying him. In verse 6 to 8, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. Here David's affirming what Samuel told a disobedient king Saul in 1 Samuel 15 verse 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. He also speaks about his ears being opened. In order to obey, we must be able to hear God and his promptings. The devil will try to tempt us to give up trusting and to seek fulfillment elsewhere. He'll whisper things like, you want that thing? Why shouldn't you have it? God isn't meeting your needs. Why keep waiting on him? As we stay close to God and ask for our ears to be opened, we can learn to recognize God's voice and prepare ourselves for anything the devil throws at us. And fifthly, waiting on the Lord means rejoicing in him. The joy is not just in the deliverance, but in the Lord who delivers. Rejoice in faith that God has already overcome, is already working on your behalf and already loves you more than anything you could imagine. So when David was rescued from the pit, what did he do? Um, he gave, first of all, he gave thanks. 
David developed a good habit of giving thanks and praise to God. In verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. The Bible is full of verses about thankfulness. Not only does God deserve our thanks and praise, but thankfulness also protects us from grumbling and complaining and falling into a negative outlook and self-pity. One of my best friends in school is our pastor's daughter, and I would often go for sleepovers at their house. Every night after dinner, um, we'd all be sat around the table, and, um, and after the Bible passage reading and the weekly memory verse recitation, we'd all say what we were thankful for. Um, and it was such a good way of developing a thankful mindset and a good chance to show appreciation for one another. And I hope that if I ever have a family of my own one day, that we'll also develop this, um, this tradition. Um, the second thing David does is proclaim God's goodness. David publicly declares what God has done for him. In verse 9 and 10, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. As king, David wanted to be sure that his people would not attribute his deliverance to his good luck or natural abilities. He wants them to know he could never have rescued himself. That all he did was to cry out to God and wait expectantly for God to deliver him. And when God did rescue him, David made sure God got all the praise. Not only does proclaiming God's goodness keep us from being prideful and taking the credit for what God has done, it also spreads the word and may lead others to God. In verse 3, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in you. So why did I choose this psalm? Well, um, I told you a bit about uh, my period of unemployment. After about five months of just fruitless searching and just getting really um, kind of down and, um, yeah, really a dark place, in over a period of two days, I had had an interview, got a job offer, and found a really great new place to live. Um, and so I really um, understand what David was feeling when he said, that God lifted him out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, set my feet on a rock, and gave me a firm place to stand. God truly is faithful. Um, so if, if David, the king of Israel, with armies and gold at his disposal, knew how much he needed God, and was not too proud to cry out for help and wait on him, how much more should we do the same? And just as David gave thanks and glory to God and proclaimed his goodness when he was out of the slimy pit. So should we also follow his example.